Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher and this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Welcome back, right? The last episode that I recorded that I will be taking down to make this more continuous was an epilogue. And I don't even remember if that was three, six months ago. Uh, But I got to episode 100, I had done maybe 30-some interviews on things like curiosity and the R versus should problem. I started to develop a couple of new ideas, uh, most notably the evolution uh, paradox and the uniqueness imperative, essentially looking at our DNA as a guideline uh, for us to develop into our unique selves to sort of answer some of these big questions like why am I here what is my purpose and what is the meaning of life (laughs) which I don't even know what that is Um, but this is essentially episode 101 and it's going to launch a new series of videos uh, which I have a little name for I'll tell you about a little bit more in a minute but first a couple things why the break one I just sort of realized I got into a point where I didn't um, I didn't have a definitive direction. I needed to stew. You know, I needed a sort of woodshed, which is a musician's term when you sort of hide in the woodshed and practice up and then come out to the real world and sort of say, okay, now I've, I've got some prowess now and I'm ready to play. That's sort of the same thing. I needed to stew on these ideas, those big ideas, the sort of culmination of the first part of Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, what it was and what it has become. And, and it's, uh, I've left everything up and it's getting... You know, for something that's not being updated, I'm still getting several people are listening to the podcast. They're watching the YouTube videos. And uh, I guess I was still so I I didn't have a plan, right? Until about 20 minutes ago. (laughs) I just said, you know what? I'm ready. I'm going to I'm going to sit down and record this episode. Two big things have happened in that time period that I was working on. One is if you remember my buddy Paul Godola, I mentioned a project that we'll be working on. We now have 20 episodes into our YouTube channel called Being Better Being, which is basically Paul's philosophy of life that I sort of looked at and went, this guy knows what's going on. And, and, and as you might or may or may not know, I interviewed him two times. There's at least four videos of our lengthy conversations that sort of led to this idea of us doing a YouTube channel together with Paul being in the lead where we discussed things like, you know, what is success? We, we got into one episode about the uh, um, student loan forgiveness and we talk about things like what is, what is peace? What is happiness? Uh, and anyway, a big part of that is this, which is Paul's book. Integrity and Peace, uh, Loving Your Neighbor and the Path of Truth, which you can get on Amazon.com, and I think it's maybe 15 or 20 bucks, or you can order directly from Paul, uh, and you can reach me here at the K plus E is wise at gmail.com if you want to know how to get in touch with Paul. Uh, that's K P L U S E I S W I S E at gmail.com. And it's a pretty amazing. To think that, you know, I, it's one of those things where I read the book and then I look at Paul and I'm just like, how do I know this guy? You know, how am I friends with this guy? Um, and how am I able to sort of learn directly from him? <laughs> and uh, you, you can do the same thing uh, by having this book. It's amazing how, how he leads you down a path of basic principles like everything's the same, meaning all the religions are talking about the same stuff. All of us are searching for the same stuff. Why do we choose to look at the divisive side of it? And why can't we realize that we all want and need the same things? Um, the sort of the, the sort of use of language and how we can focus on our language to reduce this divisiveness, uh, how we are both simultaneously connected and individuals in this world. 
And uh, um, one of the episodes we did on our podcast, one of my favorite ones so far, is how uh, the metaphorical stories of the second coming of Jesus and probably in some of the other spiritual belief systems uh, was really just the realization, uh, a metaphor for the realization that we are actually all one uh, entity and not individuals. And that's sort of the episode, you can actually watch it and see the moment where my mind is blown. (laughs) Anyway, you can find that being better being. Uh, on YouTube. Uh, and so, and, and again, so that's one of the things that I've been doing. We got 20 episodes in. I sort of just switched directions for a minute and I wasn't really sure if I'd come back to this or not, but now I'm ready to sort of uh, launch. And, and today will be sort of an introduction to that because I don't have anything planned out at all. Just this idea in my head that literally came to me a few less than an hour ago, uh, sort of like an epiphany uh, of where I want to go with the next however many episodes. To sort of summarize it all up, and, and I hate that this is so specific, and I'm not trying to be clever. And in writing, we have this that people say you've got to kill your darlings. You know, all authors or thinkers have these ideas that they just make so much sense to us on some fundamental level, but they may not have any meaning to a very broad audience. This is going to have a little bit of meaning to a fairly specific audience, but I don't really care. And I'm not trying to alienate anyone, I just think it's so clever the inspiration is going to get me through. And so I need that. It's the same way I called my beer book, my book about owning a brewery for 10 years during the craft beer boom, which I'm revising and will be on Amazon once I get the sort of end written and close it all up, uh, which I called uh, A Good Hobby Mashed, which is a play on something Mark Twain was supposed to have observed about golf, that golf was a good walk spoiled. Well, my brewing experience felt very much like that. It was a good hobby, mashed, mashed being a clever sort of pun on the idea that in beer making you make a mash, and the mash of the barley is what sort of converts the sugars to alcohol. Well, this converts the starches to sugar, which yeast convert to alcohol. Anyway, any traditional author would have been like, yeah, that's way too specific. No, you're not doing that. It's too cutesy. It's too clever. It's a darling that needs to be killed. Well, much is the same I can say about this next phase of knowledge plus experience equals wisdom, which I am going to call the acid tests. If you're not familiar with the acid tests, and I would expect that, I I don't know, I would expect that listeners to this show probably would get this, or at least have a chance of getting it. Anyone who really got my episode about the Grateful Dead would really get this, um, but most everybody else isn't. But, you know, I hate to say I don't care, but it's too good to pass up. And, I'm, and I don't have a generalized statement that's going to appeal to anybody, and that's just not my skill set, and I don't want to have to apologize for that. Uh, so the acid tests were something that happened in the, I guess, maybe the late 50s, the early 60s, with guys like Timothy Leary. Uh, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test was a book that Timothy Leary wrote about this period of time where essentially he was experimenting with a bunch of followers and and fellow compatriots like um, uh, a a guy named Neil Cassidy, who the Grateful Dead wrote the song Cassidy about, the Grateful Dead themselves, uh, when they were experimenting with sort of taking a bunch of LSD, psychedelics, and doing musical performances in this sort of interchange with the crowd. It was sort of a very experimental, hence the name test, time fueled by a specific kind of psychedelic uh, called, I think it's lethargic acid dithalamide or something like that, which is LSD, colloquially referred to by its users as acid uh, because it is an acid, right? And so they, they, they sort of jokingly or cutesily or, you know, darlingly referred to this time period as the acid test where they would take a bunch of psychedelics and explore 
how that altered their perceptions of reality in a, in a collective sense. And in many ways, this was just, you know, depending on your lens and depending on your interpretation of the outcomes, it was just a, you know, a, 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 an absurd, vulgar expression of human, you know, hedonism for a period of time with orgies and, you know, just free love and drug use and alcohol use and, 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 and maybe back, lack of good personal hygiene, all the things that people look at the 60s and, and, and sort of wrinkle their nose at. And, 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 you know, no better depiction of this as like the Woodstock or like a Grateful Dead concert, which essentially was like some subset of Woodstock, where, where, where lots of things were going on due to sort of the lack of inhibitions associated with being having a psychedelic experience, often fueled by LSD, acid, psilocybin, mescaline, peyote, all of these different things that were popular in the late 50s, early 60s, late 60s, um, just to sort of see where it went. And books are written about it. You know, Timothy Leary had the idea for a while, which is funny because it's much more in vogue again 50 years later, that these psychedelics could be used to help us better understand our personal psychology and maybe even useful treatments in a healthy mental uh, state or mental health of, of humans. And we're still exploring that today. The jury is still out. So call it what you will. This was a period of time of sort of monolithic, you know, in a, in a 2001 a Space Odyssey kind of sense, punctuated equilibrium of drastic acceleration of human change, at least from a very small specific subset. And, and, and my appreciation for the acid tests in this period of time is my own personal experience with things like cannabis, you know, psilocybin, mescaline, and acid. Uh, my experiences were very much in this sort of spiritual exploration. They did a lot to sort of open my doors of perception, you know, like Jim Morrison would say. Uh, uh, but as cliche as that sounds, now... So in many ways, I would not trade my psychedelic experiences for anything. And there were a very short period of my time in my 20s, late teens. And uh, I cherished them. I loved them. I learned so much from them. I'm also not convinced that they didn't cause their own fair share of problems. And I don't, I can't get on board with a carte blanche blanket statement, you know, like mescaline or psilocybin or acid can cure the world and save our souls and cure our mental health, mental health and uh, fix PTSD or any of these things because they, they're, they're dangerous tools. Um, I was very lucky. I saw a lot of people that weren't so lucky. Um, and I'm not so sure that my own personal struggles with anxiety, uh, panic attacks, and maybe depression weren't, you know, accelerated or aggravated by these experiences and had I chosen you know to never ingest any psychedelics would I be a healthier person I can't say all I can say is I I, I appreciate that time in my life and I often long for elements of that experience that I have been able to find in my life without the substances to alter my perception. Uh, things like meditation get me really close. Um, experiences like internal family systems therapy, uh, probably things like hypnosis, EMDR, they get me pretty close. But if I didn't know what I was looking at, if I didn't realize what a psychedelic experience was, I'm not sure that I would recognize the experiences that I have without substances today. Does that make any sense? Like, I'm not sure if I had never had a substance-induced psychedelic experience that I would be able to recognize I was having one. You know, I took a class in college, um, sociology, individual and society, and one of the labs or weeks we discussed 
the idea that the effects the effects of cannabis were not inherent in its use and they had to be learned by taking it in a group setting. And and I haven't seen this explored or mentioned since, but it was fascinating because I had personally observed first-time users of cannabis claiming they had zero uh, 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 awareness of its effects, whereas the rest of us who were experienced users could look at them and go, you are stoned. You just don't know it. And so maybe there's something to this. Anyway, that's the same sort of thing I'm getting at. Maybe you you have to have a you know, the way I look at the psychedelic experience is very much the way that I read it in Carlos Castaneda, probably the first few Carlos Castaneda books, The Teachings of Don Juan, A Yaki Way of Knowledge, A Separate Reality, Tales of Power, um, where Don Juan felt like Carlos Castaneda was so rigid and so stuck in the domesticated, Americanized, Gentile, white person's way of seeing things, the unaffected, the uninfluenced, the sort of you know, mindless human, that he required massive shifts to sort of loosen up enough to to see the world that Don Juan was trying to present to him, this sort of spiritual, pseudo-psychedelic world. Um, It's just a different way of seeing reality, right? A separate reality. And he used things like psilocybin and datura, these uh, these extremely poisonous and hallucinogenic uh, substances, to sort of shove him out of his reality and into uh, a place where he could perhaps make room for the idea that there was a second one. Now, many of us are so rigid that we can't, we're never going to be able to do that without a massive push. Now, Don Juan uh, and the Toltec lineage claim to have this ability to, to forcibly um, uh, influence a person. And I'm not sure how, because it was very metaphorical in the book into one of these shifts, but even that sometimes isn't enough. You know, there are ways of sort of jarring our perception of reality so that we're open to the idea that maybe there's another way. And you may have had these kind of experiences yourself. Unfortunately, they they do come uh, around, I think, when we are extremely stressed. If you're in a car accident, you see a loved one get hurt, you're in a situation where you're in the hospital, you may be injured or one of your loved ones are injured or there's a health crisis. Um, so you have a death in the family, these sort of things that jar us out of our day-to-day comforts can be opportunities to have this sort of idea that the world may not be as we perceive and the way that we define reality may be an artifact of our sensory sort of explanation of reality. And that just may be one. And that's the idea, I think, of the acid test. Uh, Let's, 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 you know, we have science, we have philosophy, we have religion, we study this sort of question of what's going on with us um, in a lot of different ways. And the acid tests were saying, let's see if psychedelics can't inform us in a different way. And they did. They did for me, they did for society. It changes us. And there's reasons, like if you look back in lots of cultures, especially sort of the Mesoamerican and the Central American sort of cultures that used some of these local um, psychedelics um, to predict the future, to 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 talk to the gods, to sort of help them um, predict and maybe even control the realities that they lived in. So it's not like we made this up in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> That's a long way to go to just sort of say that my next X number of episodes, I'll say I hope I can do 100, are going to be informed by this idea of um, um, acid tests only 
instead of lethargic acid dithalamide, and I'm probably, probably saying that wrong, um, instead of that acid, I'm going to look at another acid that we don't really think about, or maybe we do on a regular basis, and that is deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA. So what if my, my sort of acid test is going to be, you know, how can we be informed by a close examination of DNA and all of its, you know, cascading influences on life as we know it as a model f- uh, explanatory mechanism of these same questions. Why are we here? Who am I? What is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? What is our purpose? Are we collective? Am I an individual? All of this stuff. And I don't even know what we call that. Is that philosophy? Like what, is that just navel gazing? You know, is that a solid discipline? I don't even know. What is the main question? I think that gets close to it. And I think I'll do this in my first episode. Um, develop that idea more. I'm not really sure. Sort of explain the theory, uh, and, in, and in essence, that is, it's a question of can can we find truths or useful explanations in nature and in DNA? And what fuels this is I find myself lately looking at these complex problems that stem from the why am I here, what am I doing, what's the purpose of life, are we get along, are we humans evil, looking at these things, whether it's my trip to Egypt and sort of saying, why were there pharaohs who could build all these monuments to themselves and then all the people who did the work for them? I did, what, what's this weird caste thing, you know, and why all the obsession with fighting and riches and how can I like accept my humanness when I look and see that these are my brothers and sisters and I don't really appreciate the, their behavior and what they did? You know, th- those sort of things are driving my need to explain what's going on. And the way we explain what's going on is we use our experience and we sort of say, what do I think? And then you can use science to do it. But science just doesn't work to, to, to address these questions, but it should be some sort of... Um, Organized means of, of questioning and interrogation, which I bring to the table. You know, I'll follow not just I think da 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 da, but what does evidence an evidence based approach to answering the question of sort of what is the meaning of life? One way that I found myself addressing those questions and looking for answers is to look at what happens in nature, like. Hasn't natural selection sort of chosen uh, explanations for life that are effective? And so can't isn't there some truth in what we see in biology? We've got millions of years of these things happening. So what are the either metaphorically or literally, you know, what are the what are the the the, the truths in there? Sort of like we die as individuals, but through DNA, we live forever. So my assumption has always been biology wants to be immortal because it has a means of doing that, DNA. It exists, therefore, it has a pr- it's not just random. Or if it's random, that's fine. But that doesn't suit my purpose for answering a question. I mean, if it's random, then what? What I'm trying to do is see if this is, can't be a source of ex- explanation. Uh, and, and, of course, the... The, the greatest example I can come up with is when nature repeats itself uh, multiple times because that forms evidence, right? So when you look at the dendritic nature of 
stream networks, arteries and veins, lungs, root systems of trees, branch systems of trees. What you see is this eternally branching, you know, down to the cellular level, dendritic network pattern that recurs again and again and again and again in nature. And so I look at things like that and go, well, this is this is this can tell us something. This provides information about what works and is closer to the truth, and perhaps maybe what didn't work. Uh, but can we use what exists in nature now and in uh, the, the historic record, you know, to inform us about why we're here? And that's where I'm going with my acid tests uh, and a test of deoxyribonucleic acid. And for this time, I'll leave it there. And uh, I would like to say, you know, if you've... If you're new, uh, I, I hope you'll find some joy in looking back on the previous 100 episodes and 30-some interviews, um, invest, building up to this and sort of saying, what are the questions that people are curious about that don't get talked about? Um, I hope you'll check out Paul's stuff and maybe even look at our, at our uh, YouTube channel, Being Better Being. And I hope you'll stick with me through the next however many episodes on Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. And I'll just say, welcome back. I'm Chris Bircher. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 101. Welcome back, a preview of the acid tests. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. <laughs>